Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, you're listening to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I'm speaking with Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. She's a great friend of the podcast and to Mary and to me personally. She was also one of our first and most popular interviews. Since then, Lisa Beth left her in-house position, started Lumen Worldwide Endeavors, where she combines her entrepreneurial mindset to consulting and coaching. See, I told you, I just have to do it twice. Time to start (laughs) over. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm back to my usual routine, so let me start again. Hi, you're listening to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I'm speaking with Lisa Beth Lentini-Walker. She is a great friend to the podcast and also to Mary and to me personally. She was one of our first and to this day most popular interviews. Since that time, Lisa Beth left her in-house position. She started Lumen Worldwide Endeavors, and that's where she combines her entrepreneurial mindset to consulting and coaching professionals and teams in the area of risk, ethics, and compliance. She's an executive coach. She's also a mom to four kids. One of her other passions is mentoring and sponsoring people as they grow their careers and in the free time that I didn't know she had, she's become one of the co-founders of Mentor Corps. We will hear a lot about this today. And in full disclosure, Mary and I are both a part of the Mentor Corps community and speakers for them. Mentor Corps was created to help risk and compliance professionals connect by identifying mentor relationships, sharing insights, and growing the leaders of the future. It's a unique organization, and I'm looking forward to everyone learning more about Mentor Corps. So with that, Lisa Beth, Let's start by getting an update on you and on Lumen. Um, how's it going? And let's talk a little bit about going from being an in-house CCO to starting your own company. Boy, uh, I got to tell you, thank you for the lovely introduction. And, uh, you know, starting a company has been amazing. One of the things that I didn't realize about myself is that there's a little bit of entrepreneur ship in my blood. Um, My grandparents, when I was growing up, were dairy farmers. And when there was a a pretty significant slump in in the dairy market, they actually started up their own business and were doing import-export of dairy technology and starting up milking industry across the world in places like Venezuela, um, in Saudi Arabia, et cetera. And I remember, you know, being a a young young kid in Wisconsin, uh, going to the farm and seeing people from all over the world, from places, you know, as far afield as Saudi Arabia and uh, um, as close as, as Jamaica. So I didn't really think of myself as an entrepreneur when I started this. Um, but then somebody mentioned to me, you know, your whole family has this in their background. And I thought, huh, well, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Um, Running a business right now is definitely a roller coaster. But 
I love every minute of it. Um, you know, being your own boss is definitely a double-edged sword. It's forced me to make decisions about boundaries and really enforce them because my boss is either my best friend or a wicked adversary when it's yourself, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, I, I've also had to make decisions involving uh, personal financial risk that are much more directly impactful for my family than the risk decisions you typically make while you're in a large corporation. So it's definitely not a path for everyone. You need to be a self-starter. You need to be ready to take some significant financial risks and be willing to invest in yourself and in your idea of what you think your company or, or passion project or whatever it is, is. Uh, you also need to know what and when to find help. Um, so for example, we made the decision at the outset to have our accounting and taxes done professionally with outside assistance. It was one of the best decisions ever. Um, and we made similar decisions around branding and other elements of a company. So it, it's been a very different experience, but I've enjoyed it. What's been the most fun so far? For me, meeting new people is always the most fun for any situation. And I decided really early on that I needed to expand my horizons beyond the places where all the compliance folks hang out. Don't get me wrong. I still love spending time with compliance folks because these are my people. Um, Don't ditch us. (laughs) <laughs> right? No, of course not. Of course not. It's more of a and situation, right? Mm-hmm. So I love to spend time with the people in um, compliance. And I also really like to meet people who didn't even know that they needed a compliance person in their life. And mm-hmm. there's actually quite a few people that, that fit into that camp. So being able to educate people um, from so many different disciplines about what value we bring to the table has been just a joy, that's fantastic. What have you seen as the biggest surprise or challenge? Well, I think the biggest surprise and challenge are pretty similar. Um, I have to say, I was I was prepared for an eventual recession or a depression, but when I started all of this, I did not think that 2020 would be the year of COVID. Um, so I had planned on being tw- 2020 being the year of the conference booth, an international speaking circuit for Lumen, and well, you know. It was one of those situations where sometimes plans were just meant to be changed. And by early Q2, it became painfully clear that um, some of the investments we had made um, in boosts and collateral were just not right for this time. So it was one of those moments where I said, okay, what's at the root of our goals? And what can we do now to meet those long-term objectives of raising awareness, being nimble, and continuing to grow? The lack of travel meant that we had a lot more time, which is a finite asset that we could put towards different efforts than we had originally envisioned. So, so we basically just made new plans. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that would also go along with how COVID has impacted your business to some degree. Yeah. So um, there's, there's some trends that we're definitely seeing in the market. And from my perspective, it's a tale of two types of clients. So the common feature is all the clients are stressed and tired at this point. But the two camps that I see are the folks that are short of staff and money and the others who are overwhelmed with work, unprepared, but rolling in money. Um, so, I, you know, I'm seeing a lot of burnout and people considering transitions at both um, types of clients. We're in the midst of witnessing what I think is a type of economic revolution. 
there's some amazing innovations that are starting to happen that we won't likely recognize until a few years from now. But in my view, there's a new era being born. And like any birth, it's difficult and painful, but I think ultimately it will be worth it. Yeah, it is, a, it is completely different. It'll be interesting to see everything, excuse me, that's happening right now and how that impacts us when we do get back to what everyone's now calling a new normal. I don't really necessarily personally know what that is yet, but it's different than what yeah. I think any of us have ever um, accounted for, but, you know, as well. Um, so let me ask a question. You, Ed, you're in Minneapolis. Um, yes. And one of the things, as you know, that we've been talking about, um, you know, in, 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 in Great Women in Compliance and also just generally one thing that's important is the Black Lives Matter movement. And also you were in the area, you know, right where George Floyd was killed. I mean, not right there, but close and really saw everything. And we talked about it as it was going along. I just wanted to get your sense of, you know, how are things going um, there and how you're holding up? Well, you know, I can't speak for the whole community, uh, but my own perspectives are there's just this intense pain terrible grief and loss. Um, and there's also a sense of cognitive dissonance for me as a, a resident here. Um, the Minneapolis that I thought I knew was a place where I was very proud. Uh, there was a deep sense of community, a lot of love, and the expectation for our leaders has always been that if you're a leader within this town, you're expected to give back to the community. For me personally, I loved the work that I was doing because I was working with a children's, a local children's theater and doing access and outreach and helping make the community a better space. And the first thing that I, one of the first things that I felt was that all of the good that I saw in the community wasn't making enough of a difference. And it just clearly wasn't enough. So that was extraordinarily disheartening. Um, and after a little bit of time, I started seeing what the community was doing to pull together. And the community that I saw living here, um, I don't think is portrayed in the news. Um, what I saw after the rioting and, um, you know, the, the funeral and, and all of the, 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 um, the upset was that there was a lot of support and love in this community. People came together to help support businesses, to support everyone in our community. There were food drives to help make sure that people who are in food deserts were still able to have nutrition and, you know, the care and support that they needed. So it gave me some hope for the future. I don't know what people saw outside of our community, but I think that the story about how people came together here is probably not being told externally as much as what I'm seeing. That's really interesting too, because as you know, I live in Washington, DC. And when there were the original beginning of the Black Lives Matter Plaza and before that and the protests and other things, early on, I got a lot of people reaching out to me saying, are you okay? Is it, you know, are you safe? And what I saw after the first, you know, day or so where people, where everything is just, it was one of the most peaceful and almost inspiring protests here. And it was an, an interesting process of, you know, seeing how when people were out demonstrating, they had their masks, they were doing, people were really trying to work and to help one another and really cared. And then I would speak to people in other states or other countries who would be wondering whether or not there was, you know, looting down the street from me and really being here, 
I saw some really, you know, uplifting moments um, that I yeah. thought it was just fascinating. It made me think about some other you know, things about all of this. Um, yeah, I think um, in Minneapolis, uh, my perception is our entire community is going through stages of grief. And it's nonlinear, it's messy. On any given day, I think you can find someone in any stage of this process. It could be they're experiencing numbness or anger or fear or panic, isolation, loneliness, searching, whatever it is. Um, and I don't think that here we're really through the raw stages yet, yeah. but I do see glimmers of the beauty that could emerge from it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in um, Japan, they have a process called um, kintsugi, which is where you take pottery that's been broken and you mend it, but in the um, spaces where it, the broken pottery is mended, you put you know, gold or silver or platinum, and you emphasize those cracks of the pottery, but give them this beautiful repaired appearance where Mm -hmm. the crack is part of the beauty. And that makes it a more valuable piece of artwork. And I think, right, my hope is that for Minneapolis, there will be a mending that enhances the beauty of the community without forgetting that there was this brokenness to it. Yeah. And again, you know, I'm still spending a lot of time doing a lot of my own learning. I've cared about these issues, but just realizing everything I don't know or that I don't experience and things like that. And, you know, I think it's, it's a really important time to take stock both in, I mean, in any city and anywhere else. I found it, you know, interesting for you. You really were in what the epicenter of the beginning of this process was. And I'm happy to see that, you know, we're, you know, people are really committed to trying to, to move forward and to come out with something better and recognizing what some of the problems were that some of us may not have been encountering on a daily basis. Right. So, you know, I think with that, though, too, in mind, you know, one of the things that Black Lives Matter has done in my thought process and also generally was the importance of all of us coming together in any sort of community, including the mentoring and you know, and advocating for other people, which was one of the reasons I really wanted to speak with you right now about Mentor Corps. So can you tell us about it and tell us, you know, how it's, you know, supposed to benefit the community and organizations and individuals? Well, um, so mentoring has always been something that has been near and dear to my heart because I think it's a huge differentiator in a professional life. Um, I I always wish that there were more strong mentors, even for me in my career. Um, And I think that there are ways that we can come together as a community to help each other in a more robust way. Lots of other professions uh, have, have, have mentoring programs and have uh, um, internships or, or things like that that allow you to connect with people who can be helpful throughout your career. I haven't seen as much of that in our profession yet. And that got a buddy of mine and I to talk. So I have um, a dear friend of mine who I've known since I was... Oh, 12 or 13 years old. Um, his name is Dan, and we both grew up in Wisconsin, but he was um, on the information security uh, 
IT side of the house. So I always called him Dan, Dan, the computer man. Don't tell him that, but, um, uh, I can't promise no one else listening won't tell him that, or if he listens himself, but we'll keep it to ourselves here. But, um, so we, we've been friends forever and we were so extraordinarily fortunate because our careers ended up being very similar, right? He, was at a big company, traveling the world, uh, doing his thing. I was at a big company, traveling the world, doing my thing. Uh, and eventually, we ended up uh, both starting our consulting practices around the, around the same time. So our, our paths were very parallel in very many ways. But we could always count on each other to bounce ideas off of and get different perspectives. And we started talking about how much uh, certain areas, particularly privacy, uh, were converging in our worlds. And we said, you know, there really just isn't enough of a way for people to come together right now and find mentors and find sponsors and find people to help them grow and develop, not just technical skills, because technical skills are, are, are pretty straightforward and, and can be taught. But the core emotional competencies that allow you to thrive in your career. So I personally think that there needs to be a lot more focus on those soft skills that your company isn't necessarily teaching you and you may not be able to find somebody to help you with without asking. Um, And mentoring is a kind of a little bit of an awkward dance because you don't want to feel like you're back in first grade saying, will you please be my mentor? Click yes or no, right? It shouldn't, it shouldn't feel that awkward. <laughs> so it's nice to have a group of people who say, hey, I, I want to help out in the community and, and allow people who are seeking that type of help to be able to easily connect and expand their own networks. Mm-hmm. So that's part of how MentorCore was born. And we, we looked at it as a, um, a place where you could meet some of the needs of the community to reduce the sense of isolation and really foster that community spirit and make sure that we're able to help this profession be more sustainable, welcoming, accessible, and inclusive. And, you know, when we looked at the things that limit people's careers, um, they come down to basically three factors, right? Where you were born and what you were born into economically, Um, the second factor is where you went to school. And the third is, have you worked for a big business? And for people who don't have access to that, we've got to create more paths and we've got to create more ways that people can help themselves. Yeah. And, and to be able to, to make sure that, that those of us who are, who have had, are in the big organizations or others get the opportunity to meet some, you know, some of the people who may, you know, be able to open those paths or, you know, remove certain barriers along the way. Right. And, and, you know, my view is um, if we're truly helping to be guardians of corporations, we can't be the cobbler's children. We need to find better ways to support and connect and include and show others how to do that. Right. So how do, how do you personally define mentoring? And, and are there any myths about mentoring out there that you want to, that you've thought about or you want to raise here? Um, I think there are a lot of myths around mentoring. Um, I think that many people think that to be a mentor, you have to have a certain number of years of experience, you need to be older, but this is just not the case. Um, Mentoring happens in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be formalized. 
it can be very informal. It can be somebody who, who, who says something really resonates with you. Um, but I also think that there's been this, this concept that somehow mentoring is a one-way street, and it is not. It is absolutely a, a mutually beneficial situation. And so we want to make sure that people understand that mentoring happens in many different ways, and it happens from many different people. There may be somebody who just you know, started their first job last week that you could learn more from than anybody else that you might meet anywhere. So I think we want to make sure that there are voices that are being heard from throughout the community and that those voices are honored and that we can improve um, as a whole. I completely agree with that. I, you know, I feel like there's so many different kinds of mentors and there are so many things that some people you may say, this is my mentor. There are some people who mentor in many different ways, whether it's somebody who is in a different field and you watch how they deliver a training or a class or something. And to sort of look and try to bring different skill sets in, I think is a really important thing, especially, you know, different generations look at things differently. How do you bring that in? How, you know, diversity is important. Um, well, any other myths you, you think of when you think about that? Or is that your biggest one? I think that's probably one of the biggest ones. Um, I think that overall, um, mentoring is something that everyone seems to want and no one seems to be able to find <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's very difficult to go out there amongst the people you know and, um, you know, identify which skill sets you, you think that you want to be able to improve upon or get um, uh, feedback on. Um, it's also one of those things where sometimes having someone who's not so close to you that you'd feel comfortable asking them uh, can be the most valuable perspective because they are viewing you from a very different angle and they may not be within your industry or within even your exact profession. And as you're thinking about mentor core and as, as it grows and other things, what are your longer term goals and objectives in well, we have big plans. Um, so MentorCore is really founded on, on four pillars right now. Um, there's mentoring, so connecting people so there isn't this awkward sense of some, asking someone to dance when you don't know if they're really interested. Um, we want to bring people together to network and to meet people outside of their current sphere of reference. So really expanding uh, the horizons for people. We also are hosting events each week and they're free um, and they vary dramatically. Um, everything from how to manage digital well-being in the pandemic to how to navigate uh, a uh, matrixed organization and even things like how to pivot in your career. Um, but they're really focused on navigating a career, just not just technical knowledge, it's, it's the life part and the professional life part of, of, of people's existence. We have a community-only discussion area, and we're working on uh, a number of masterminds for people who want to continue to grow and develop their personal brand, their professional brand, et cetera. And then we also offer ways for people to connect, um, to understand more about their own emotional intelligence and find uh, their path towards professional development. Mm -hmm. So, 
They're, they're big goals. Um, and, you know, part of what we're trying to do is changing the way we interact in the profession because we think that there can be better outcomes if people pay attention to the humanness and the humanity of our community. Um, you know, there are plenty of resources out there to help with the technical parts of the profession. But right now, I think in this economic revolution, we are transforming a lot of what we're doing into an artificial intelligence world. And we have to become more agile because that's going to be valued and emotional intelligence and how you navigate your career is going to become essential too. Yeah. Um, and what made you decide now was the time, especially, you know, with, as you mentioned before, all of the things going on in the world, what made you think, all right, this is the time. You know, I mean, I think there's never perfect timing for, for anything, but I also took the approach of why not? Um, <laughs> Dan and I had been talking about this for a couple of months and, you know, as the pandemic started, I, I, I finally said to him, you know, we've been talking about this. We just need to launch. Um, it, it's a time of rapid change right now. And we think that the environment's really right for innovation and reinvention and that people in our profession are yearning for that too. And we also see that a lot of companies are just not investing in people within the profession the way that we would like. And so if we're both feeling this way, we thought, you know, we need to provide some options to individuals to choose how they're going to drive their own growth and development. Because you don't have to wait on a company to decide that you're worth investing in. You get to make that call yourself. And I think that that's going to be a trend um, that we're going to see over the next couple of months and years. Yeah. And one part that has been appealing to me is the fact that you are trying to make things very inexpensive so that you're taking an economic barrier. One of the things that is expensive sometimes is being able to start attending conferences or places where there is traditional networking. Yeah, we wanted to make sure that our community was accessible so that um, it wouldn't break the bank and that people who might not have personal wealth to be investing in, you know, in, in these ways could still be able to afford to participate and wouldn't have to have the expense of travel and all of the other things that go with going to conferences necessarily. Yeah, I think, and I think that that's fantastic because if we're trying to expand the community, which is important to all of us um, for ethics, compliance, risk, all of it, making sure that you're expanding the group and the involvement, I think, is really important. Um, and I think and we, that this time at home has emphasized that to me. Well, and we also think it's really important to honor voices that have not been heard as often, mm-hmm. um, whether that's because you're an introvert and you're living in a conference environment, which is a tends to be an extrovert's universe, um, or because you just haven't had access, we think that there are lots of voices that need to be heard and we want to help provide a platform for that in a way that feels comfortable for everyone. Yeah, I, I, it, I mean, it's so important and I'm, something I've actually been thinking about a lot as well is, is making sure that you have all, as many voices heard. Because it's the right thing. And also from, you know, as some others have spoken recently on the podcast, from, from a risks perspective, from an understanding your organization perspective, or, you know, looking at the big picture. 
So with that, what do you want to see for MetroCorp for the next you know, six months, a year, three years, other well, than taking <laughs> over the world? <laughs> um, I think right now we're still working in 30-day sprints. And, and <laughs> you know, I think that actually most companies are still working in 30 to 60-day sprints because um, the environment that we're in doesn't lend itself particularly well to um, extremely long-haul thinking. Um, but we have our speakers scheduled for the rest of the year, which... Um, considering we're doing that every week, I, like I'm still a little bit pinching myself um, uh, <laughs> that, that this has happened and come together so beautifully. Um, and we're planning our first networking event this fall. So in a year, I would like to see our newsletter re- reaching thousands rather than hundreds of people. And it would be great to have the support of more members who are interested in being involved in this collaborative community. In three years, if I had to venture a guess... Mm-hmm. Um, we, we do hope that MentorCore is one of the places to connect and control the destiny of your career. Um, and we have lots of interesting ideas and affiliations and partnerships in the work, but it's just a little too early to go into too much de- detail, but you should stay tuned. Well, with that in mind, spoiler alert, how do we get more involved and talk <laughs> about some of the things that you're not talking about today on the podcast? So we're not, not breaking, no more breaking news today, but what, so, how do we get involved? One of the things is we're always looking for speakers with interesting perspectives. And while we've already got our 2020 lineup set up, if you feel like you have an interesting perspective that you want to share with the world, then reach out to us. Um, If you feel like you would like to give back to the community and be a mentor or you're looking for a mentor, connect with us on our website. Um, Listen into our sessions. We love it when people ask great questions. So one of the things you should know about our um, events is there is ongoing chat and Q&A. And we get some of the most phenomenal questions that we answer during the live session. Um, So we love that. We encourage that. We want people to feel like they can ask any question and not have to worry. Um, And then, you know, to the extent that you're willing to, I want to hear what you value and what you want to see for the future. Because this is a passion of mine to try to bring together people and find healthier and better outcomes for our community. If that's something that you share, I definitely want to talk to you. Yeah. And for those of you who aren't sure what, what you think about your viewpoint, it's something you should share. That's really, it's important to hear from as many people as possible for, in, for, for us at the podcast and for, for MentorCorp so that we can, any of us can help support that in the future. Um, yeah. And it's really amazing that you've got your whole list already settled for the rest of the year. That is amazing. I, 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 I literally am pinching myself because I feel so fortunate that I am part of a community that has so many wonderful people and has so many wonderful voices to share. And I think that the more we can hear each other and connect with each other, the better. You guys at the Great Women in Compliance podcast have been doing such astounding work and bring together so many people. I've met so many people through the work that you're doing and you've highlighted folks from all over. Um, So you've done such a wonderful work for this community. It's really fascinating to watch and, 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 and truly a blessing on this community. Well, I didn't invite you here to say that, but I appreciate it a ton. And we very much, I mean, I feel very fortunate to have the community. And those of you who listen regularly would know, you know, know that I really feel that way because 
Mary and I get so much more out of all of this and being, you know, I, I got to know you better through this and through other things. And, you know, with that, I'm just going to say thank you and how much I appreciate you coming back on the podcast um, to talk to us about what you're doing. And for those of you, when, when we write about this, we'll make sure you see the website and please reach out. Um, we're thrilled. And thank you, Lisa Beth, for joining me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.